We've been in the book of Ephesians now for several months. We've been marching through from verse 1, chapter 1, talking about amazing, messy grace. And maybe today the messy part of grace will become more evident as we look at the body of Christ, the church, in this very powerful passage. I hope that you're reading along, that you're doing the devotionals, that you're thinking through on a daily basis what God is speaking to His church through this scripture. And it is a great text today. I want to begin by reading verses 11 through 13. You don't have that on the screen, but I want to read it for you just to remind you of the context. So Christ Himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of Him who is the head, That is Christ. From Him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as every part does its work. I want you to take the text personally today. I want you to hear about ligaments and the building up of the body, the bone structure of the body. Some parts of the body are soft. Some parts of the body are hard. And the bone structure gives a framework to the body. I want you to consider how growing up in Christ will make you part of the bone structure of the body. That you'll be framing the body. That you'll be a part of the body that is mature and Christ-like a part of the body on whom others will depend and others will look to and say that's what it means to be part of the body of faith at First Baptist New Orleans. He's really a part of the body. She's really a part of the body. When I sang the song, We Will Remember, it meant a lot to me today. I sang it with a lot of gusto. (laughs) Because I was remembering some things this week. I'm part of a research project that took me to Minnesota and realized on Thursday morning I could make a fast trip to a place I had not been in more than 50 years. Holly, Minnesota, where I first came to know Christ. So I got in the car and I sped up Highway 94 toward Fargo, North Dakota and cut off before getting there and went to Holly and found the little church, the Holly Bible Church, where I first understood the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is the building. 
it's been turned into a house or it's being turned into a house. I knocked on the door. I wanted to get inside. Chris answered the door, the owner. He told me he was part of Holly Alliance Church, which is now a very vibrant church, and it is the Holly Bible Church in its new name. And they are growing and reaching many people for Christ. He took me into the area that used to be the auditorium where I worshipped as a boy from 7 to 11. I took the toe of my tennis shoe and I pushed through the dust on that floor from all the construction and I found that original hardwood floor that I've mentioned to you before on which I knelt as a seven-year-old boy with the men of this church. I remember that floor being hard, but I remember those people being soft-hearted toward me and I grew up in the arms of this little congregation. It was a beautiful moment to look around that room and remember the missionary who put his arm around my shoulder and whispered in my ear about committing my life to Christ. Over here, seeing the little room where I knelt with my father and brother and prayed to the Lord. A very special moment. A church that nurtured me for four years when I was a boy. People who taught me the scriptures faithfully came to church, gave of their tithe so that we could pay the bills and have this gospel ministry that now involves hundreds of people every Lord's Day. Then I got in the car and I drove to the spot where we lived when I was a boy. I thought it was a big house back then. It didn't look so big this time. My bedroom was on the second floor behind that window on the left there at the front. It'd be so cold in Minnesota in the winter that the condensed water would freeze on the inside of our bedroom window. And if we poked out of the covers, we could see our breath in my bedroom when we woke up in the morning. My father would get up at 5 o'clock and crank up the oil-burning furnace. It would heat up the water that went through all of those radiators in every room in the house. And when it got time to get up, we'd jump out of bed, get all the clothes we're going to wear that day, and put them on the radiator, and then jump back in bed. And we'd let those clothes heat up. And when they were warm, we'd put them on. Underneath that bedroom, on the first floor, was the living room, where I went to my father and mother one night and said, I want Jesus in my heart. And I understood and we knelt down in that living room and I prayed and asked Jesus to come into my heart and forgive me of my sin and be my Lord and Savior. I remember. I remember the people who loved us and cared for us in the church of Jesus Christ. And some of them were core people. They were part of the bone structure of the body. And the Apostle Paul is thinking about this church at Ephesus that he knew and loved. And the names and faces swam before him as he wrote this letter. And he was concerned about the church because some of the people were not growing up. They were still infants. They weren't maturing in their faith. They weren't becoming more committed and wiser followers of Jesus Christ. And he was concerned about it. And he wrote to them. 
And he said, look, I don't want you to be infants any longer. What's an infant? An infant is someone who is tossed and blown, the apostle says. Tossed back and forth by the waves and blown this way and that way by every wind of teaching. And so I would say to you today, grow up in Christ. Look at your life. Look at the journey spiritually that you've been on. Are you growing up? Are you becoming part of the heart and soul and structure of the body? Are you connected to the body in living, vital ways? Are you hearing from the body, the brothers and sisters? Are you sharing your gifts? Are they sharing their gifts with you? Are you maturing in the faith? Don't be tossed and blown. If you're tossed and blown like an infant pushed this way and that by every wind that comes, you can't be part of the stability of the body of Christ. In order to be part of that stable structure, you yourself must be stable. Now, this tossed part is tossed by the waves. You get that picture in your mind, right? Tossed back and forth by the waves. Maybe those waves are the circumstances of your life. And you haven't grown up enough to know that you can be stable in your faith when times are good and when times are bad. And maybe some bad times have come your way and it has shaken you. I'm challenging you today to look at your life. And if you feel like that describes me, I've been tossed back and forth by the circumstances of my life, by the difficulties that that have come, to stabilize your life. Maybe the circumstances of the world are tossing you back and forth. In fact, the prophet talks about that in the Old Covenant where it says, for you answer us, God, with awesome and righteous deeds. You are the God who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, and the turmoil of the nations. That's in Psalm 65. He talks about these waves, the roaring of the waves, and the turmoil of the nations. And maybe you've gotten anxious and afraid about circumstances in the world. And... You communicate that fear and anxiety in all kinds of ways around you. And maybe it's become more severe in your life. And and you are growing more cynical about the future of the world and, and your country. And it's coming out in your conversation. And this fear and cynicism is taking root in you. And here's what I want to say to you. That does not encourage your family. That does not encourage your friends. It is not Christ-like for you to be ruled by fear and doubt. These concerns that you have may be legitimate concerns, but they should not be turning your faith into fear and your disposition in the world into this frightening and anxious person. You're being tossed by the waves, the turmoil of the nations. Wars and rumors of wars have gone on since the first century. The world is going to be like that. And it is that way today. And some of us are concerned about what North Korea might do and other situations in the world that are hot spots. 
and trouble may be on the horizon. However, we've read the last page, right? We know how it ends. So we are anchored in the truth that this world is moving toward the God who made it and he will bring it to its proper conclusion. And we have no reason to fear world events because we are safe in the hands of the God who made it all, who rescued us through his son Jesus. And we belong to those who inherit the kingdom of God. So we need not fear. This is what our faith is about. So we need to live with this disposition in the world. And if the waves have tossed you back and forth, and your friends would identify you as somebody who is anxious and fearful about the situation in the world, I encourage you to rethink your perspective and step into the strength of God's sovereign control, his care for you, the victory we have in Christ. And to live out your life and to change your language so that is reflected as you speak to your friends and family. When you are anchored in this faith and you have a joyful faith in what God is doing in your life, then you are part of the stable core of the body of believers. Not tossed back and forth by the waves, circumstances of your life or circumstances of the nation's. Not blown this way and that way by every wind of teaching. Now, just going to tell you, there are false teachers today just as there were in Ephesus when the Apostle Paul wrote this letter. To say otherwise would to be unfaithful. It's simply true. And these false teachers were a cause for instability in some of the believers in the church. And they were saying, these false teachers were saying that they were giving the truth. But in fact, they were intentionally deceiving people. In other words, when people got through listening to these teachers, they were fervently believing something that the teachers themselves did not believe. There are people who can persuade you to believe something. And they can speak persuasively about it. And when they're done, you believe it more than they do. Okay? This is the craftiness and the cunning that is mentioned in the Scripture and this deceitfulness of these folks. Now you say, how can I identify these people who are taking advantage of the body of Christ? Number one, okay? I've got three things for you to consider when you hear a teacher Or read somebody. If they say everybody else is wrong, I want you to consider the arrogance of that statement. Okay? Just think about it for a minute. All the denominations are wrong. Really? And I'm the guy that's right. So I got the truth for you, and everybody else is wrong. If you hear that, I want you to be suspicious of that teacher. I want you to think about it. 2,000 years of faithful people preaching the good news of Jesus Christ, reading their Bible seriously, seeking to be fully committed unto the Lord of glory. And the pride and arrogance that would come into somebody's heart to say, I'm the one that has the truth. All the rest of these people are wrong. So I'm just saying, if you hear that, 
You mark it down. Be suspicious about it. Number two, if their true center is not Christ, but some idea they have about either the condition of the world or the future of the world or the coming of Christ or something, they've got some scheme, some plan, and what they really talk about is this idea they've got. And it's really not centered in Christ as much as in their idea. You listen carefully to teachers and make sure that they are anchored in Christ himself, that their message is the wonderful good news of the gospel, that they are proclaiming the word of the gospel. They're talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and calling people to faith in him rather than having some other center to their teaching. And be careful if... Number three, they got something to sell. Now look, I got books out there at the welcome desk, all right? <laughs> so, here I am. I've written some books, and I want you to have them. Uh, I gave some out today. They're just to help people, okay? I'm not saying that just because they have a book to sell, they're wrong. But I will tell you this. There's lots of money to be made in religion. There's lots of money to be made in predicting the return of Christ and laying out how the world's going to unfold. And I've been listening to it now for 45 years of preaching. And there was a time when I bought in hook, line, and sinker. And I thought Jesus was coming for sure at least by the middle of 1978. And I knew it. I even talked about it to my church. I have since grown wiser. People can sell books by predicting terrible things about the future of the world. But you take a little grain of salt if that teacher you're listening to has got something to sell. All right? Make sure what their center is, that they're centered in Christ. Make sure they're not saying, I'm the only one with the truth and everybody else is wrong. Don't be blown by every wind of doctrine this way and that, by these false teachers who come in, okay? Don't be blown. Don't be tossed. Stabilize your heart. I want you to grasp the instead in this passage. Taylor pointed out the until in the passage beforehand, all right? And he talked about until. That was a great point. I want you to see the instead here. Stabilize your heart. Maybe you're one of those people who says, I hear all these voices and I get so confused. Who's right and who should I listen to? And I understand it can be confusing. And maybe you feel like you're the one that's been back and forth and you really don't know what to believe. But I want you to see the instead, okay? It's comparing the infant who is tossed back and forth and blown this way and that to somebody who is stable. So this is what I want you to hear. There's hope. You can stabilize your heart and your mind. You can be strong and on a firm foundation. You personally. You can. So I want you to get the hope in the instead. Some people just give up. They hear the different voices and they say, oh, well, who knows? And they walk off and they stop seeking to know because the voices are so many. 
But there's an alternative for you. You don't have to be tossed back and forth. You don't have to be caught in despair about the truth. There's an instead. Instead, you can grow up and mature in the faith. Grasp thee instead. Realize that the stable position is a person, not a philosophy or idea. As long as you are anchored in a philosophy or idea, you're going to be subject to instability. None of the isms will stabilize your life. Fundamentalism, Calvinism, Arminianism, dispensationalism. I got more isms in me than you ever heard of. All kind of isms out there. And you think, well, I have finally found an intellectual structure where I can find stability. No. The scripture says here, you grow up and you find your stability in the head. That is Christ. Do you see it in verse 15? Your stability is not an ism, it's a person. It's the person of Christ Jesus himself. That's why the scripture says, other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ himself. Don't put an ism between you and Jesus. Don't fall into the trap of supposing that something that some human constructed is going to now be the foundation for you intellectually and spiritually. Jesus Christ is the only foundation. It is my testimony. I went through a period of wondering and searching and confusion. And something rumbled out of the inside of me in the middle of my despair that became the anchor for my life. It was in the wee hours of the morning at Baylor University when God took me back to the one in whom I can trust in all circumstances and situations. And God said to me, Christ himself is the foundation for you and there is no other. And I stood in that foundation for the rest of my work and graduate work and education and all of that and found in Christ himself all the answer that I need. All the foundation that I need is in him. The wonderful thing about this is that Christ is accessible to you. You can read the scriptures, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the New Testament and the Bible. You have an opportunity to read what Jesus said and did and the works that are about him. You can know Christ, and maturing is in part growing in your knowledge of Christ. I hope that you will make a commitment as a young person in this church, as a young man or young woman in this church, that you're going to become a student of God's Word and a student of the life and ministry of Christ and that you will have personal knowledge of the parables, the stories, the teachings of Jesus and they will be for you an anchor and a center. And I'll tell you what, if you will yourself develop your own understanding and foundation in Christ, intellectually and spiritually, you will be an anchor for everybody in the room. You will be part of the structure of the body and the strength of the body. And I'm challenging you to do it now. 
Stabilize your heart. Grasp that instead of being confused and this way and that. You can be anchored in Christ. Get the love in this passage. Now, the apostle talks about love throughout the book of Ephesians. I guess he mentions it at least 15 times. But here he mentions it twice. And one of those times you wonder, okay, he slipped this parenthesis in. Not sure about that. Instead, comma, speaking the truth in love, comma. And I'm thinking, okay, he's not really talking about speaking before this. And now he is. He wasn't really talking about love before this. Now he is. Speaking the truth in love is his comment on this. God is drawing us toward the love of Christ. You say, well, what does it mean to be mature? How will I know that's happening to me? Well, you'll be more like Jesus. You're going to have more Christ-likeness in your life. We grow to the fullness of Christ, who is the head. And so you mature as you become more like Him. And maybe you're thinking, well, what does that look like fundamentally? Speaking the truth in love, operating in love in all you do. You should be growing in the love department, are you? Do you love God more today than you did before? Do you love God's people deeper? Does your neighbor know you love him? Are you growing in love? No, people don't automatically grow in love. Some people grow in cynicism and despair. And more and more, they be. They become that way. Sometimes we get meaner instead of kinder as we age. That's just true. It's nothing automatic that's going to make you grow in love. It's an intention of the heart where you say, love is going to characterize me as I relate to my family, to my friends, as I relate to the body of believers. I'm going to be known as a person of love. There is no greater aspiration for you than have this love becoming manifest in your life so that you are part of the loving family of God. And you are growing in this love day by day. And when you speak, you are speaking in love. So your words are covered and coated in love. And when you speak in love, people hear you better. When they understand your intention is to love, The truth you speak can be received. Speaking the truth in love is fundamental. And growing up, as he says at the end, in this love is fundamental. God wants you growing. God wants you looking more and more like Jesus. He is changing us image to image, moment by moment, into the image of his son. This is the pattern toward which we move. Get the love, as the scripture says here. Hold on to Christ. He is the head of the body. He is the brains of the body. He directs the body. The body grows as it is connected to the head. And so I would say to you, finally, to stabilize your life, to be part of the bone structure of the body, stay connected. Stay connected. There are all kinds of temptations for you not to stay connected to a body of believers. 
Every body of believers is imperfect. And so if you get involved in the body and you become part of the real heart and soul and structure of the body, if you are praying and serving and giving and your heart is invested in the work of the family of faith of which you are a part, you'll discover things about the body, imperfections in the body. You'll find that the body is truly human, that it has feet of clay, and sometimes that makes us run away. Sometimes we think that we have such a spiritual level that we have reached that we no longer fit into the body of Christ. We are beyond all that. Those folks are are below us. They're not nearly Christian enough, and so I've got to pull away from them and be my own Christian in this solitary way. I can be a better Christian, somebody might say, as a solitary person outside the church than I can in the church. Of course, you know that doesn't match up with what Ephesians says, does it? All the growth of this body is in connection to brothers and sisters in the family of faith. Everything about here is not you as an I, a part of the body, developing by yourself out here like on a ledge over there, all alone as an I. That makes no sense. It is impossible for that to happen, isn't it? The only way for the eye to develop is for it to be part of the body. And so with the hand and the feet and every other part of the body, the development happens in connection with the body. Why is that? Because it's not just words on a page. Love and patience and kindness. It's deeds in a life. It's loving real people and practicing kindness in real relationships. And learning patience with folks that are part of your life. That's how God hones you and shapes you and makes you his own and matures you in the body. It is through the brothers and sisters, family and friends and neighbors that you love. And you allow them to love you back. It is in the connection where you grow up. So stay connected. Get connected. Living on the periphery of the body may feel safe, but it's not where God wants you. Where God wants you is actively, vitally connected to the family of faith, where you are receiving their gifts and they are receiving yours. And the gifts that God has given you are not simply for your own edification. They are for the building up of the body. Paul is concerned about the church. He's concerned about the churches. He lists all the things that trouble him. Having been shipwrecked and beaten and left for dead. And then he adds, and in addition to all these things, my daily concern for the churches. Are you concerned for the churches? I think all of us understand the concern for the church. Who are deeply invested in the church. You say, well, the church is too institutional. And I would just say to you, any human organism is also organized. And it's inevitable. You you may say, I want to go to a church that doesn't have any rules or history or heritage. And you can go there, but pretty soon they're going to have all those things. I was with a church planter this week. And he said, yeah, for seven years we just rented space. I mean, we just were here and there and everywhere. But you know what? We grew out of it. We got too big. And we've got 
to get a building. Well, that's sort of a step toward institution, isn't it? But think about it. 175 years ago, three or four people like you and me sat down together in New Orleans, Louisiana, and they said, we want to create a family of believers. We want to create a new church. That's what, that's what they decided to do. And so they joined together, and they made a church. And they made promises one to another about being faithful to each other and living out the life of Christ in the church. And they moved from here to there. Once one building was blown away by a cyclone, and they managed to make it through the war. And they passed on their faith to the next generation. And the next generation did to the next and the next. Until 175 years later, we gather here the heirs of this wonderful heritage of people like us. Who believed that God was at work in New Orleans who organized a church and invested their time and energy and love and support in that family of faith. And so we gather in this place and we enjoy pews and a building and, and much of this we did not build. We just, we didn't. We inherited it from folks who came before us. And for many, perhaps most of us, that is true. Here's what I'm saying to you. There's a generation coming, and we love them as we care for the body of believers, and we aspire to the stability and maturity that Paul discusses here. And we say, Lord, I want to be part of the bone structure of the body so that I can pass on to my children and grandchildren and generations to come, people that I don't know, a wonderful heritage of faith that I received as well. Paul challenges us in this passage. Grow up in Christ. Make it a goal to be mature. Set your sights on the fullness of Christ. Don't be driven this way and that. Instead, stand in the foundation that has already been laid, which is Jesus Christ the Lord. Bow with me, please. Maybe you've heard this message thinking, I need to follow Christ myself. And as we bow our heads together, you could pray to receive Christ right where you are. To just say to him, Lord, I, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me for my sin. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. You rose again from the dead, and I ask you, to come into my life and be my Lord and Savior. Would you make that prayer today? Maybe you've been on the outside looking in for a long time and the Holy Spirit is calling you through this text to grow up in Christ and to take your place at the core of the work He's doing in our community. Maybe God is calling you to be part of this body. In just a moment you can make that decision. Maybe you've been saved, but you've not been baptized, and you want to follow Christ in believer's baptism. God, we pray today that you would make it clear what we should do, the step we should take. God, that you would clarify it in our own heart, 
And then, God, that you would just give us courage to do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.